Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. You know, I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social Index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the Social Index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got Regina Lawless. She's an author of Do You? A Journey of Success, Loss, and Learning to Live a More Meaningful Life, a recent book that she's just published, and founder of Bossy and Blissful. Before writing the book, Regina served as the head of diversity, equity, and inclusion at Instagram. Regina has also worked with Fortune 500 companies across various industries, including Target, Intel, and Micron Technology. On the show today, we talk about why this book? Why do you? Why now? We talk about an inspiring story and meaningful and, and deep loss that she incurred, which prompted the book and her pivot in life. We talk about how others should think about pivoting or aligning to what they do and their purpose. We talk about her new entrepreneurship career and what it's been like to be out of corporate America. And we also discuss the state of DEI today. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Regina Lawless. Well, Regina, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so delighted to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to have this conversation. Before we get into like your background and, and what you're doing today, I hear that you're a new empty nester with a Sonic College. And 
with a daughter who's 16. I'm a, I'm a few years away, so I'm, I'm curious, how's it going? Oh, my goodness. Well, it's going amazing, at least from my end. <laughs> <laughs> my son, he's in his first semester of college. And he's enjoying it. I, I think he's enjoying dorm life a little too much, but, you know, t- to be expected. And I am, I feel like I've reached that milestone that all parents dream of. Like you, You've done your job and you've gotten them out of the house. And now I can put things in my fridge and come back and they're there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> right? And I don't wake up in the middle of the night to like random gaming noises. So like all is well on the home front. I love that. I love that. (laughs) So I I only have the daughter. So one on my side. uh, And I hear folks that have sons and that just the the amount of food that they consume is <laughs> unbelievable. So I, can, I only imagine that your refrigerator stays a little more stocked now. So yes, yeah. absolutely. It's nice. <laughs> <laughs> love it. I love it. Well, let's talk a little bit about you and business. And I'd love to know, like, where did you get your start in business and, and, and the path to where you are today? Well, I started at Target. So out of college, I I got my undergrad in in communication studies and ended up getting recruited by Target for their manager training program. And they allowed you to kind of pick your track. And I decided to go with HR, being the people person that I naturally am, and really fell in love with it. That, That was my HR training ground. And I stayed in the retail sector doing HR for the first eight or nine years of my career. I then did a stint in the banking industry and the airline industry. And then in 2016, I pivoted into the tech industry, which I really wanted to get into. Tech was really exciting to me, kind of being born and raised in the Bay Area and and having Silicon Valley in, in, in my backyard, essentially. So I got into tech and then that led me to Meta. Um, So I joined Meta in 2020 to be the head of DEI or diversity, equity, and inclusion for Instagram. And what an amazing journey. And I actually just left them in May of this year to start my own company called Bossy and Blissful and to focus on the launch of my first book called Do You. Love it. I love it. Well, uh, congrats on writing the book, Do You. Uh, Writing a book is no small feat. So when I talk to authors, I'm, I'm always just humbled by 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 probably what you went through to to get that book out. Well, thank you. Yeah, yeah it was definitely no small feat and a labor of love. I'm I'm really excited for people to to read it or 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 hear it. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about the book. Like why this book and why now? I feel like I was destined to write this book. So the book really is about my journey. It's set in the context of me being at the height of my career, at being head of DEI for Instagram. And then about six months into that journey, my husband, Al, died unexpectedly. And so that, of course, upended everything that I thought I knew about life. I had to take stock of who I was. I I was with him for 21 years. And so it really sent me on this rediscovery, this journey to not only heal, but rediscover who I was and what I wanted in my life. And by the time I had progressed enough in my kind of journey of healing and 
really trying to put my life back together, I realized that I had stumbled upon some lessons that can help other people. So that's really why the book mm-hmm. and, and, and the timing really is related to his untimely passing two years ago. Mm. Uh, I'm so sorry to hear that. I mean, thank you for sharing that. How, thank you. I mean, to be together with someone so long and then to have something like that happen so unexpectedly, like, how do you process the grief and how do you think about like maybe tips for other people that might experience something similar in their life? Yeah, it, it really is something that is so shocking that it, that's really the first step yeah. is to try to get over that. So, so my husband was 45 when he passed away. So that is Gosh. considerably mm. young, right? Mm-hmm. So that was really the first thing I had to reconcile is the shock of it all. And thankfully for me, I had a therapist. I had just found a therapist to help me deal with like stress and and just life. And that person was a godsend for me to help me in those early phases of grief and and really beyond that. So the advice I would give people in in dealing with grief and, and the shock of it all is really to give yourself space and grace. I found through my journey Um, particularly in kind of our Western society, we don't give people enough time to really mourn their loved ones. There's this expectation that after the funeral or after a couple of weeks or so, you kind of go back to normal life. And for me, I ended up taking three months off of work. And by the time I came back, I still didn't feel normal, as you could imagine. So I would I would tell people, give yourself that space, because until you really delve into it and feel all of the wild emotions that come with grief, it's going to be hard to move forward. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it was almost like the universe helped you out a little bit. I mean, finding a mm-hmm. therapist, if I if I'm doing the math right, this was in 2020 or, or early 2021. Early 2021. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and ever since the pandemic therapists have been at a, a very scarce to be honest uh-huh. <laughs> we were looking for one for somebody in our family and it was it's it's still kind of impossible to find so like i don't know if you believe in anything yeah. <laughs> beyond ourselves but <laughs> holy moly that was pretty uh pretty timely to, yes. to have somebody in place to help absolutely i, I and yes i I already believed in in something greater, but going through this journey and as folks read the book, they'll see that, that I really do believe the universe was, was uh, looking out for me and, and, and conspiring to, to help me heal and and move forward. Well, so the the book title is do you, which leads me to, I, I think about like, how do you achieve your own purpose and, and how do you think about others that are thinking about a pivot or how they align what they're doing to actually what they want to be doing. Yeah, I love that because I think that's the universal trek. I think that we're <laughs> all here trying to figure it out and, and, and figure out what not only the meaning of life, but what we're meant to do while we're here. And so for me, that really started on my bereavement leave. I needed to to unplug from daily life. Um, so that would really be my first advice to folks is to find 
some quiet time where you can really listen to your innermost thoughts and desires. Once I, you know, I I didn't have work, um, I started going on kind of solo journeys, which which I, I, I write about in the book as well, started taking, actually my first trip was two months after my husband passed. I went up to Mendocino County and spent three days by myself. And that was really powerful for me to get grounded and to do a little journaling. I did a little mini hike. So let's be clear, I'm not a hiker. (laughs) (laughs) But but I got got myself out in nature so that I could just unplug from all of the noise and all the doing and all the striving and and really just reconnect with myself. Mm -hmm. And, And that helped me to not only make sense and process my loss and my new life. But I started over the course of of a year to get even more in tune. I started doing meditation. I started doing yoga. So all of a sudden, I started to put all the pieces together of mind, body, heart, spirit, which is the the framework I talk about in, in Do You. And then it all started to make sense. So by the end of 2021 going into 2022, it became clear to me that the work that I was doing in corporate wasn't fulfilling. Mm. I'd had a whisper of that before my husband died, but you know, we get stuck in kind of the rat race, especially once you've reached a level of success, it's even harder then Mm. (laughs) to to pivot. You're you're in the thick of it. Um, But once I got a chance to unplug, it was really, really clear to me that I wanted to be of greater service. And I not only had a story to tell, but I had some lessons that I wanted to to share to help other people deal with not only grief, but finding their their meaning and purpose and living a bigger, bolder life. So that's how it happened for me. And 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 hopefully for your audience members, if if they check out the book, they'll see the steps that I took to help me make that pivot. No, I will definitely link to the book so listeners can can purchase and <laughs> and get all these nuggets. This notion that you mentioned, though, of like, you know, once you've definitely, I mean, I think it's true of everyone, you know, once you've hit a certain level in your career, but even yourself at more of an executive level, there's a tremendous, what I would call like loss aversion, right? Yes. Like to step away from that track feels... I mean, it feels insurmountable in some ways. Yes, I was going to say terrifying. Terrifying, (laughs) terrifying is a better word probably (laughs) Um, because there's so much wrapped up into, in the U.S. in any way I can speak. I I think there's so much wrapped up into our own personal identity. Yes. Into the job itself. How did you, I mean, you had this kind of external event that, help to create space, I think, to some degree for you to think about this. But like, how do you, if you're talking to other people, you know, that are in this, like, how do you, I don't even know how to approach it. Right. You know, like, I'm, I'm literally a loss for words and I'm a podcast guy. So. I know that says a lot. Huh? Yeah. But no, it, it, it is, it's, it is a really challenging decision. Yeah. Um, and for me, I, so a couple of ways, a couple of things helped me kind of make the leap. One, 
having a really strong vision. So I had been in corporate almost 20 years at that point. And so by the time I had come back to work and kind of settled back in at Instagram, I knew that, okay, I could essentially do this forever. Like I was doing doing well in my job. There, There was no need to make a change. But that fire wasn't there anymore Hmm. for the type of work that I was doing. So so I had that internal kind of burning platform that, okay, something is not right within me. Like, Hmm. and I'm not the type of person to just go through the motions and go to work and just collect a paycheck just to get a paycheck. I work best when I am passionate about what I'm doing and when I feel like I am helping people. So I knew that that some of those elements were missing um, in my in my current role. And then what I started to think through was for me, life, it became apparent that life is short. And we all say that that is such a cliche, but losing my husband so suddenly, it became extremely clear to me that we are here for a period of time and you can't waste that time. And so I started to think, how do I want to spend the next 20, 30, 40 years of my life? Do I want to live it kind of doing much of the same? I had even gone through some interviews um, because I was in that indecision point of like, should I stay? Should I go? And I had gone through some interviews at another company. They were, they had reached out for a head of DEI position at another software company. And I went through the process and that actually solidified my decision Hmm. (laughs) that, okay, this, this would be more of the same, the same kind of executive rat race, if you will. I have an opportunity to, to do something different and take a risk. And so that for me, it was, why not take the leap? And of course, I made some some steps to when I knew I wanted to start writing this book and starting a business. Mm-hmm. I, of course, talked to my financial planner. And <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I didn't just completely jump out the window um, with no safety net. But I I led with my vision and the way I wanted to live my life. And that was stronger for me. The desire to have more freedom in my life, the desire to serve the people I wanted to serve, um, the desire to have joy and agency over myself. That was a stronger pull than keeping it safe. I love that. Um, Well, you are now out of corporate America. What's it been like? Oh my goodness. So <laughs> let, let me tell you, Alan. Like, <laughs> Let's get real. Yeah. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, <laughs> so I love the freedom. I love being able to wake up and decide what I'm doing for the day, what I'm doing for the week, choose my clients. Because as we know, anyone who's worked in corporate, you cannot choose who you work with. <laughs> and when, and most often, you can't even choose when you work with them. And sometimes you can't choose how you work with them. So I, I love that freedom and flexibility. And I'm a, I'm a creative person um, by nature. And, and I've rediscovered that even more through this journey over the last couple of years. So I love having that creative freedom. It's scary, though, to have my livelihood in my hands. (laughs) So 
that's the part is, as being an entrepreneur, I have to go hunt and gather for, for myself. I don't have a paycheck coming every two weeks. So that part has taken some getting, getting used to and having to learn how to budget and kind of figure out how, how to sell and, and how to market. So I've been learning all of that. Thank goodness I have such a, a rich, supportive network of friends and colleagues who who made sure that they continue to spread the word about me and the work that I'm doing. But yeah, it's it's still scary. I still wake up some days like, what did I do? Did I, <laughs> like, did I do this? Like, yeah. did I really do this? But for the most part, it's been it's been a really cool journey. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. Plush care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow! Did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com/acast and use code acast for twenty percent off your first purchase. I don't know if I mean I, I've either started company like many different types of companies over the course of my career from a franchise business with my wife to uh, a consulting firm and uh, turned into a software company. So like, I don't know that that feeling ever goes away, (laughs) to be honest. (laughs) That's good to know. Yeah, I I think it's just because honestly, in some ways, I think I think that feeling is what helps to propel you forward, you know, to make sure that you're still doing you still got the right focus on what comes next. I love it. But uh, but yeah, you, getting comfortable with that feeling is really hard. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, well, kudos on, on making this switch to get going to, like you said, I love too that, you know, you were like, I didn't, I checked with my financial planner. Uh, I didn't jump with just no safety net because a lot of people do that. Uh, and that, that, that's really risky. And, and most people yeah. think, I, th- I think most people think entrepreneurs are inherently risky. And I think that's a myth Yeah. <laughs> because I think we're about risk mitigation. We're risk yes. mitigators, you know, we're not risk takers, we're risk mitigators. And so if I can test my way in little tiny steps and not spend a lot, be really scrappy, be really resourceful. Um, yes. I think that's what makes an entrepreneur, not risk takers. So. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I, and I definitely did some testing. I had, well, the, actually the, the second event I had was actually after I launched, but before I launched, I started already testing my idea hmm. with a network of women and, and ho- I hosted an event to have like, okay, let me, let me do a little proof of concept. If, if this is even something that if women would be compelled to join a community of other women and if I could offer something unique in that space. And so that also gave me some courage, like testing, testing the waters a little bit before I left my corporate gig. Love that. 
I love that. Well, one topic not related to the book, so everyone should go check out the book and we'll, yes. we'll make sure we link that in the show notes. But knowing that you were in EI before leaving corporate world, I'm curious, like what your take is on the current state of where we are in diversity, equity, and inclusion today? Yeah, we're in a difficult period right now. And, and this this field is is always difficult by nature. I think the DEI is not for the faint of heart because it really is about not only change management, but changing to an extent hearts and minds and and behaviors, which is hard to get people to do anything. <laughs> <You know>? Yes, yes. <laughs> so, and we had such a focus on DEI in 2020 and 21, following the murder of George Floyd and, and a number of other incidences, there was such attention being paid for many people for the first time, kind of really the pandemic created this you know, point in time where people could slow down and really be reflective on equity and justice and, and race and, and those things. And so since then, I found that people's attention has moved, which is typical, right? Like you look at the news cycles, like you only have people's attention for a matter of sometimes days. You're lucky if you can get, get people focused on something for weeks. And so, so really the challenge for DEI now is how do we continue to make progress in this space and, and make it so that there is more access and opportunity for all people to succeed in, in corporations and institutions without having the full attention of everyone. And so I think DEI practitioners are having to get creative. And for those companies that did the work in the last couple of years and really started to embed DEI into their practices and their policies, they're ahead of the curve. Because once you bake it into how you do all the the operations of, of your organization, it, it's stuck. <laughs> it's, it's in there. Right. Um, I think the challenge is for companies that did not do some of that work. How do you get your workforce to still feel that this is important and valuable to do? Mm. I mean, you've got, frankly, a, a little bit of a marketing challenge. <laughs> you know, like how do you keep it top of mind and on the radar of people? And, and that notion that you mentioned this need to try to change behaviors. I mean, that's one of the like hardest things. If you're a marketer, you, you, you learn behavior change is like the hardest thing to oh create, gosh. right? Like, yes. We are wired as a species to just do this, to be lemmings, you know, to be the, <laughs> yes. do the same thing every day that we've always done. And serve uh, our energy. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's just hardwired into us. So, I mean, it's, you're right. I mean, I, I think, you know, that 2020 to 2021, it was right in front of our faces and we could not ignore it any longer. And the world has shifted a bit. It is going to be hard to maintain focus, but maybe that's where marketers out there listening to this, they could help us crack that problem somehow. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah you, you all have worked magic and so many ways. Like, I don't know why I love the products I do. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> it's a secret. Of, it's a secret, it's right. Regina. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I, I think, yeah, it, it very much is a, is a marketing challenge. And, and I hope I, I really, I sincerely care about seeing people 
get the opportunity to do their best at work. And so, and to me, that's the heart of what DEI is. It, it yeah. really is trying to make sure that everyone feels included and feels a sense of belonging so that they can bring their best selves. Mm -hmm. So the need for it is clear. It's just to your point, how do we, how do we market that and, and, and continue to enroll people in that vision? Yeah. Awesome. Well, one of the things we like to do on this show is to get to know you a little bit better. And my favorite question to ask everybody that comes on the show is, has there been an experience of your past that defines and makes up who you are today? Oh gosh, so many, <laughs> but I would go with really a, a pivotal experience from my childhood was kind of moving to a different community. Mm. So I grew up in Northern California in a town called East Palo Alto, which borders a more well-known town <laughs> called Palo Alto. Yes, yes, very <laughs> well know, known. Yeah. Very well known from Stanford and just being in, in the heart of Silicon Valley. So back in the early 80s when I was born, those communities were very, very different. They're still, you know, fairly different today. But back then, East Palo Alto um, was a predominantly Black community, and it had been going through a lot of turmoil in, in the 80s. Like a lot of cities at the time, you started to have more drugs come into the community, more violence. Like you had people, of course, trying to move out. And then Palo Alto was just over the kind of freeway overpass, um, very affluent, predominantly white community. And so seeing that kind of that juxtaposition of folks that had, and then folks in my community, the community that had not, seeing that inequity firsthand, I think that's part of why I'm drawn to the work of, of DEI today, why I'm so mm -hmm. passionate about justice and, and making sure that people have equitable opportunities to, to succeed in life. But also, when my parents made the decision to leave everything that they knew um, my whole immediate family was in East Palo Alto, an extended family, like all of my aunts and uncles, cousins, like we all lived in that small community. So my parents made the decision to move. They wanted to give me and my brother a better life. Mm. And they had the opportunity. My dad took a job that allowed us to move to Livermore, a suburb that was about an hour away. And through that, kind of moving to another like really leaving everything we knew right. that also taught me how to adjust mm -hmm. and really be a chameleon. So I, I like to say that um, I've had, I've lived in the best of, of both worlds. And, and I think that makes me able to, to navigate and connect with so many different people because of that experience. Yeah. No, I, I, a beautiful experience and, and the way you describe it. I mean, the, the stratification of our <laughs> society in the U.S. is is something I feel like everyone should at some point take notice of and and mm -hmm. really try to understand. Because like you describe it, I mean, you're literally East Palo Alto was a freeway divided East Palo Alto from Palo Alto, <laughs> right? Like you think about that, literally a freeway, you know, like, like what, what? And you think about the the zoning regulations, how developments are happening, like how systemic those types of things end up being, and we yes. we don't we don't really evaluate that literally being on one side of a freeway versus the other 
completely different worlds at yeah. periods of time. And systemic is is the perfect way to describe it. There's a, a great book called The Color of Law by Richard Rothstein that I always recommend. It talks about redlining and, and some of these systemic inequalities. And East Palo Alto and Palo Alto is one of the case studies he uses. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, we're going to link to that book too, just for reference for everyone. <laughs> well, next question for you. What advice would you give your younger self if you're starting all over again? I love that question. I would tell myself, don't be afraid to do you. And what I mean by that, be authentic. I think I spent so much of my life trying to fit in and be what I thought everyone else wanted and needed me to be, whether that be be a good student, be a good daughter, be a good parishioner, you know, a, a good church girl a good wife, a good mom, a good corporate employee, all the things. And I lost myself in that process. And so I think so many people can relate to that because we all have to conform to an extent, depending on what, what environment you're in. And so once I got a chance to take a step back and rediscover myself through the, the grief journey of, of losing my husband, it really became clear to me like, gosh, like, A, I'm loving this new person that I've, I've become and have reclaimed. And I wish I had become her sooner. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I would tell my younger self, don't be afraid to, to do you at, at your core. Love it. Well, we typically are talking about marketing on this podcast. This is a very different conversation, although we've peppered in some marketing here and there. Yeah. One, one question I ask is usually related to marketing, but I'm curious, you think there's a topic either you're trying to learn more about yourself or you just believe people need to be learning more about today? Yes. So I am personally trying to learn more about AI, um, which I think, right, which is, yeah. which is kind of the topic du jour. But for me as an entrepreneur, I am trying to figure out how to use things like ChatGPT and other forms of AI to streamline my business. Right now, I'm a solopreneur. So anything I can use to, to take tasks off of my plate, I'm interested in. And I, I think AI is, is fascinating in how it is being used. And, and there's also, of course, some, some controversy around, like, will it take our jobs? Right. Like, will it, like, I hope it takes some of the jobs. Like, I, <laughs> like, can someone come and, like, a robot come and clean my entire house? That, that would be a job that I would be happy to let automation take. But, but yeah, I, AI is something I'm, I'm really fascinated with right now. Well, are there any trends or subcultures that you're following you think other people should take notice of? Yeah. So I'm actually, I've been paying attention to this trend right now of people going away from technology and, and smartphones mm. to, to in particular. So I think that Gen Z is, I believe they're leading the charge of like going back to flip phones, which is hilarious because for those of us who remember like, <laughs> the old flip phones, and I, I grew up in the age of like pagers. So even before we had cell phones, so, so it's kind of an interesting trend, but I think they're onto something because being hyper-connected like this, we know that there's, there's downfalls. So I'm, I'm kind of interested. I, I, I find, I find it fascinating what the, I was going to sound old and say the, the kids these days are. <laughs> are okay. Are I, I, I guess it used to be okay, boomer, but now it's got to be like, okay, 
Gen Xer, you know, right. like I, I feel the same way though. Um, <laughs> it is curious. Like I have heard more and more about people like wanting a flip phone and I'm like, Oh my Lord, that's like, it's like what? 1996, 90, I don't even know. Like yeah. 2000, I, I, where, whenever like those early thousands, yeah. maybe. Yeah. Like I still remember in business first job out of college, like you got handed a BlackBerry, right? Yes. And and that thing, you could really chuck it across the the parking lot and pick oh, it yeah. up, and it'd still work. Indestructible. Yeah, I, I might have done that once or two, twice. You know, <laughs> uh, just irritated at something. But but then the the real the real like executive phone at that point in time was that Star StarTech or Starcom or Motorola with the yes. stupid little battery on the outside of it that made it really weird and strange looking right. um, but you knew you were somebody at the company oh. when you got that phone that, you arrived yeah you arrived. So <laughs> it's coming back it's coming back <laughs> just like leg warmers you know it's oh my the- <laughs> okay you're like you're an 80s <laughs> yeah. you get my kind of people like, yeah. <laughs> i love a leg warmer <laughs> I know. I was at the gym the other day. There was a woman wearing what looked like leg warmers on her arms. And I was like, well, that's a new one. I haven't <laughs> seen that one before. That's a new trend. <laughs> anyway, all right, well, I digress. I got one more question for you that uh, we'll wrap up. But like, what, what do you think is the largest opportunity or threat facing business and business people today? Oh, my goodness. I would say this epidemic of loneliness and and lack of connection. And I think that plays out in a couple of ways. I think it's amplified now that we're in this kind of hybrid and, and distributed working model. I think more and more companies and, and managers are going to have to stay connected to their employees and help people find a sense of connection and purpose outside of, of being in an office every day. And so, um, so that's the work angle. But even within our personal lives, people are, are still not having that sense of community that we used to have decades ago, that we've been on the decline in terms of having spaces where people can gather and really meet and get to know your neighbors. And so that's something that I think is, is a pressing concern to all of us, because I think the more that we're disconnected, the more you see just the polarization of around issues. And it just, it, it gets a little scary uh, when we lose sight that, that we really are connected to each other and we are better when, when we're working with each other and for each other and, and, and towards, towards a, a shared vision of, of humanity. So that's I 100% agree, and I hadn't thought about the loneliness and the, the lack of connections, and the frankly, what starts as a personal concern, a personal kind of inter interperson problem, I guess, becomes a, a business problem, becomes a societal problem if it's left to linger. Mm-hmm. To your point, I hadn't thought about the connection there, but I think you're absolutely right. And businesses, <laughs> businesses are. Great on on so many levels, but in other ways, you know, I don't know that we really think about the individual. We th- we always are thinking about the group, uh, maybe right. more so than the individual. <laughs> um, but this is a, definitely a case where you've got to flip the script, so to speak. Yeah, and it's hard. It's a challenge. It, it, that's why I think you part of 
why, well, I don't know that that's the impetus for bringing people back to work, but <laughs> I guess an <laughs> argument could be made that, that bosses want to bring people back to work to have that sense of community. But we're never going back to everybody being in the office. So we have to get creative and make sure that people still feel connected in some way, even if they choose to work remotely. Well, Regina, it's been lovely having this conversation. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's been amazing. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me with post-production support from Sam Robertson. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe on marketingtodaypodcast.com. Tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love hearing from listeners. You can contact me at marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you'll also find complete show notes and links to what was discussed in the episode today, and you can search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today.